we spent all of last year um, attempting. Producing literally nothing. Literally just garbage. Complete garbage. It was awful. My parents um, didn't even pretend to like it. <laughs> it was it was really bad. And um, we learned and we got better. And through the help of uh, Sarah Harris, we got some serious coaching and, and got, um, you know, the skills under our belt that we needed. And it's been so much better. Like this this semester versus the last two are night and day. Hello, everyone, and welcome. You are listening to the Clarkson Ignite podcast, coming to you from the WTSC radio station in the Clarkson Student Center for the last time in 2018. I'm Matt. And I am Nick. And this podcast is a bi-weekly podcast meant to connect individuals across Clarkson's diverse community and give you, our listeners, interesting and unique content. Our hope is that you can walk away from our episodes learning something new and valuable, something that will inspire. This week... Uh, we decided to end the semester looking at all the interviews we did this fall. Um, in this episode, we'll talk about our favorite conversations and topics and replace some clips from those episodes. But first, we have listener mail. Um, what was the question again, and who was it from? Mm, let me see. The question was from Maura McGuire. Uh, where was it? What was it? What was it? Oh. Do you remember anyone you hated 10 years ago? And does it even matter now? Anyone? I thought it was anything. Well, either one. Okay. Do you have anything? Well, you said that you had one, so you go while I think. Oh, well, yeah. When I, 10 years ago, I was 11, and I was in sixth grade, and I hated my math teacher, Mrs. Kelly. And it does matter, because I still hate that lady. <laughs> what she, she ruined ever... math for me. She did? Well, you're still doing engineering yeah but i'm still bad at it and it's her <laughs> fault <laughs> okay uh is there anything that i hated what what was it so 10 years ago i was nine um no oh sh- yeah yeah i'm i'm much younger than you yeah i forgot um, <laughs> so let's see for a second i thought you were worse at math than me no <laughs> <laughs> no i can count sort of um, okay, in ninth, when I was nine, oh, this is what I hated. So, when I was nine, I grew, I don't know, like six inches over the course of the winter. Um, I went from like, I don't know, 4'10 to like 5'4 in like four months. But it was during the ski season. Mm-hmm. And all my other friends were still short. And they didn't have changing centers of mass. So, they were still really good at skiing. And I was felt like a freaking... I don't know, picture a giraffe on skis. That's what I felt like. Wow. And it was very tough because I had to basically like re-teach myself basically everything because I just was falling all the time. Wow. That was a real problem. Mine was just like a I don't really like my teacher kind of problem. <laughs> like the rest of them would have been like, I don't like when I step on Legos or like my GameCube won't save sometimes. Eh. You know, does it matter now, though? That's a good question. I feel like I'm in a pretty good – I feel comfortable with my skiing, so it doesn't really matter, I suppose. Okay. None of the people that I was jealous of back then are actually, you know, still skiing competitively. So, okay. you know, I'm not looking at them being like, that could be me. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right. That was Listener Man. Thank you.
All right, Nick, this is the last episode for the semester. This is our first semester. How do you feel How do you feel it went? Uh, I think that this was definitely a lot better than we had in previous tries for this podcast. We produced some pretty terrible things yeah. the first time we ever walked into this studio. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, we've been at this. This is now the third semester that we have attempted the podcast. And actually, the- I think it's actually the fourth because we did a few of the pilot ones. No, no, no. Oh, really? No, because it was last fall, oh, yeah, last right. spring, and yeah. then this fall. So we spent all of last year um, attempting. Producing literally nothing. Literally just garbage. Complete garbage. It was awful. My parents um, didn't even pretend to like it. <laughs> it was it was really bad. And um, we learned and we got better. And through the help of uh, Sarah Harris, we got some serious coaching and, and got, um, you know, the skills under our belt that we needed and it's been so much better like this this semester versus the last two are night and day um so to me it's been kind of like a culmination of what i've envisioned for it for over a year now Mm -hmm. which is really 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 exciting it is exciting yeah (laughs) you don't seem very excited no i'm very excited i mean i just like to look back and see maybe which ones I think helped us develop the most? Mm. Which podcasts? Which podcasts? I think the one that pushed me out of my comfort zone the most was probably the IoT one with Rajan. Um, it was definitely the most technical. I th- I loved it though. I thought you know what he was talking about is really important. Obviously, you know it has relevance with the president's challenge. But IoT you know, is Internet for Things. Internet it, of Things. Yeah, yes. If you don't know. And. Um, you know, obviously it has relevance with the president's challenge, but I think more broadly than that, it's relevance just to everyday devices that people are using both in the consumer world and the industry world. They're, you know, increasing exponentially. So we need to know what we're talking about with that. So I mm-hmm. thought that was a really good podcast. Yeah. It emerged that IoT, which was just emerging uh, at the time, which was about uh, 2015, 2014 to 2015, industrial IoT. Consumer IoT was already prevalent. Uh, your Fitbits of the world, your different types of uh, smart watches that were emerging. But the industrial world was a bit behind in that space, but starting to see the benefits of it. Typically, what we have seen in uh, previous generations of companies coming out is technology emerged in the industrial world and then got consumerized. In this case, actually the reverse has taken place. The IoT uh, sector emerged in the consumer world. And now, but the industrial world really uh, saw huge benefits of it. Mm -hmm. And that is how we started to see the need for IoT. In fact, uh, I'll give you a small story. We were thinking, hey, there must uh, be a need to securely transport data from all the sensors that are being attached to furnaces. For example, Alcoa, Rio Mm -hmm. Tinto, which have huge smelter plants. So we, through introductions, we met uh, with a a person named Ron Victor. Uh, to validate or to understand the needs in that space. And uh, Ron uh, uh, talked to us, 
looked at our backgrounds and we were postulating the need for secure transport from the sensors to the cloud. And he looked at us and he said, hey, you guys are onto something here. Um, here I am selling extremely ruggedized sensors uh, and installing them in these furnaces in uh, Alcoa, Rio Tinto, and all the mm -hmm. places. But my team is not, they are not either security experts are connectivity experts. So A, we are paranoid about connecting these sensors uh, and externally taking the data out. Second is, we don't even know how to do it. Yeah. But he said, there is a real need. And that is how we got more and more into IoT. And pretty soon, uh, we have a slew of companies that have been uh, flowing out of the process. That's awesome. It was nice to see uh how he went from just being honestly a normal college student, a lot like all of us, mm. to grasping an opportunity and going to where he went, Silicon Valley and all that stuff. Yeah, and I think that, you know, is a commonality across all the episodes. You know, um, Ken Camarco as well, you know, he's not afraid to admit that, you know, he was just a, a normal college student, didn't really mm -hmm. know what he wanted to do. Um, then he did the, I can't remember what they called it back then, but the co-op. Yeah. Um, and that really helped him figure out what he wanted to do. I think that's true for a lot of people. Uh, I think we can find that kind of in, in every, everyone that we, we talked with. I think it was a lot of, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing until I was doing it, but they just happened to find the right thing for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really helps me, especially going into, um, you know, grad school and with my company and stuff like that. I'm really trying to figure out if what I'm doing is the right thing. And I guess I won't really know till a minute. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the people we interviewed, uh, some of them went to business to like MBAs and stuff mm -hmm. like that, a lot like what you're doing. And I think that that showed a positive path for students. Yeah, I think, you know, <clears throat> especially here, a lot of people just think, you know, right into industry. And granted, we did interview a yeah. lot of some people are successful with that. I mean, Demi Lola, I know he. Mm went right out of college and he's just doing that right now, making his shoes for uh Finney shoes. Yep. Yeah. That was a great episode. Um, I thought it was really cool. The coolest thing about that episode, I think was the fact that, um, you know, he was a mechanical engineering major and, mm -hmm. you know, everyone thinks that those guys go to. Yeah. And know, it was really an like entrepreneurship. Like it was really an entrepreneur way of thinking about something. He saw a gap in the market and he saw that, like people want these shoes where you can transition from what you're going to be using them for. And he filled that gap and he made this shoe brand. Yeah. And, you know, it was cool because it was based on just his experiences. And he was like, you know what? I bet other people have this problem too. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. I thought that was really cool. Really, really cool. Yeah. So I'll tell you guys the story. So the story was that I was going on spring break to Jamaica with a bunch of my friends. It was my senior year. And uh, as we all know, Clarkson is very could be very cold during the um, during the spring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot of snow everywhere, so we used to pretty much having um, our our snow, you know, snow boots or you know boots during that during that time. And when you're going on spring break to a very warm climate, uh, you want to bring something much lighter in terms of shoes, you know, because you're going to a tropic tropic region. So that's how the idea started. Like, hey, I would be amazing to go. Um, you know, if I'm traveling, I don't have to bring all these all these shoes because I'm going to different climates. 
why not bring one shoe that I can possibly wear and take apart um, and wear in different conditions, um, weather conditions. And, you know, that's how the idea was born, really. And then I had to really sit down and really think about how, you know, how to physically design this so, like, it's appeal, it appeals to people to really want to wear them. Which one kind of do you think has uh, the largest implications moving forward? We talked to people that were doing a lot of cool research. Which which episode do you think? Has um, some... There's two different ones. I feel like this question calls for me thinking, like, which one's my favorite or mm. which one has a, like the most implications in our lives or what's kind of come up the most on campus or in our lives. And I think um, the water remediation one yeah. is definitely the one we might hear about the most in the future. Yeah. For those of you who don't remember, that one was about um, remediating uh, PFAS, which is a very toxic uh, chemical that does not uh, degrade in water or soil. Uh, and it's episode two. Um, and two professors, uh, Samuel Medadovich and Thomas Holson, um, are remediating that with a plasma process, plasma-based process. So mm -hmm. that's a really cool episode if you want to check it out. We got uh, funding from the uh, Air Force to demonstrate this reactor in the field, pretty much to take it from the lab into the field. And, you know, to, to be honest, uh, uh, no one has ever taken a plasma water treatment technology out of the lab to the field. So uh, in, in, in doing so, we are actually almost ready to do that. We are going to be at a field uh, in January of next year. We have actually scaled up our treatment system to about two gallons per minute. So we have two very cool plasma reactors put in a metal box. There's a power supply powering the plasma. Looks very, very uh, uh, neat. So we, we really, when designing the system, had no one to call and to ask, okay, how do we do this? How do we do that? So it was lots of trial and error in uh, making sure that, you know, all the safety measures have been taken, that the system works continuously, that, uh, you know, nothing's going to fail once in its, once essentially it's in, in the field. Yeah, one of the particular challenges to be on an Air Force base, there's all kinds of safety rules. For example, we produce some EMI um, as we discharge the plasma. They need us to prove that it's not going to interfere with their radar and other things like that. So lots of safety issues that we've never thought about or, or thought about how to address, uh, we've had to face uh, to be able to get this onto an Air Force site. I think the craziest part was when she describes like what actually happens. when they, It looks like they just zap the water with yeah. a bunch of... Like they literally just tase the water. It looks like, <laughs> it's exactly but what um, it looks like. it's actually a highly scientific process where they remove these contaminants that wouldn't break down for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, if you're interested in watching that video, it's on the Clarkson Ignite Instagram. Um, it's in there somewhere. It's a cool video to watch, definitely. Um, I think the other one, you know, that's just kind of cool that could really help with uh, bringing renewable energy to a broader mm -hmm. market and out of, you know, just industrial um, energy pr production is Ken Visser. Yeah, Ken's, Ken's business where he's basically working on producing affordable for the house or small business. Mm. Um, you can put the wind turbine right on your house and it's efficient to pay off, basically. That's what he's working towards. And that's going to be 
highly applicable in the future, definitely. Yeah, I think that right now, I believe he said it's a 20-year or 30-year payoff Mm -hmm. um, to get your money back for any household turbine. Um, And his goal is to make it, you know, five to 10 years. And um, the ducted turbine technology that he's using is really cool. It's what's going on the uh, on Camper Rowley. I can't remember where it's going. But. It's on tack, actually. Oh, is it on tack? Yeah, oh. and it's going to be so big that you can see it from the hockey rink. Wow. Yeah. So that's exciting. Um, it's really <laughs> it's really awesome. The scale of things on campus, you can see it from the, from hockey, the hockey rink. rink <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that that's going to be really cool. I think it's awesome that, you know, we get one of the first ones on Clarkson's campus. You know, always seeing the university support each other with their endeavors is is really really awesome yeah so <clears throat> from a theoretical point of view the best you can do with a wind turbine uh, in terms of extracting the power out of the wind is 59 percent it's called Betz's limit okay and uh, so you can't if you stopped all the wind completely that'd be 100 percent. but then where's the wind all going to go right i mean yeah. you just can't pile up so if you do the math you can get about 59.3 percent of the power coming at you out of the wind and the big turbines today, the big offshore ones, you see these huge ones, right? I mean, they've got, they've got um, diameters of these things that are equivalent to two 747s. So if you that's took a 747 crazy. and you glued it on the hub <laughs> and spun it around, that's the size, right? It's like monstrous, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're getting efficiencies of 52, 53%. Oh, which wow. is pretty good. That you know, good, I, mean, yeah. I mean, you account for friction and losses and all this other kind yeah. of stuff, and well, it's not too bad. Small wind turbines, on the other hand, get, you know, maybe at most 35, 38%. And so we're like, wow, we can do better than that. Mm. I mean, we're supposed to be, you know, engineers and we can figure stuff out. So we said, why can't we improve the aerodynamics of small wind turbines? If we could do that, then maybe more people would be interested and that would help move us in that direction of renewable energy. Because the primary barrier to small wind is cost. So the metric we use today is not cost or energy, it's cost per unit energy generated. Because that's the bottom line. You know, yeah. if, if I'm going to invest in something like this, how much is it going to cost and how much energy am I going to get back and when am I going to be flush? You know, is it going to take me two years, five years, 50 years? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as a general rule, it takes, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20 years these days to get flush back on a small yeah. turbine. So people are like, oh, I'm And isn't that kind of like the lifetime of the turbine anyways? Well, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. I mean, um, and e- well, large turbines, you know, they claim they can last for 20 years now. And I yeah. guess we'll see. But they usually have maintenance contracts. And all this kind of, but small mm-hmm. turbines, you can't have that. You have to have something almost like a toaster, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't have to, something that you got to go out and fix all the time. Mm. You should just be able to plug it in and it works. Yep. And uh, reliability and robustness of small turbines has had not such a great history. So people are, whoa, you know. And uh, so you combine that with the fact that, uh, you know, it takes that long. It costs a bunch of money. uh, That shies people away. I think the most comforting of the episodes was Ken Camargo's. Why do you say that? I think that. Um. Well, first of all, Ken was just a really, really cool guy to talk to. Mm-hmm. It was really, um, it was a fun, natural conversation. Uh, he loves students. He loves talking with students. Um, and I think that, for me at least, you know, doing the interview with him, I was able to kind of see myself in what he was describing in the student and kind of like connecting 
some of his decision-making processes with with mine and kind of like you know his whole whole mantra during that that episode was you know be okay with where you're at you know look to do better but yeah don't you know don't worry about being the next blank the next you know, blank. The next blank. The next, Fill in the blank with the next homeless guy you see yeah. on the street. I mean, I could be that guy. I could it, do it. You definitely <laughs> could. <laughs> no, he's meaning the next. The next, you know, whatever, whatever, like, whatever thing that you feel like is what you're expected to be. Mm-hmm. If it's an expectation from someone else, don't worry about it. When you were learning the things that you didn't know, what, wh- how did you go about doing that? Was it asking people or was it looking it up on your own? Yeah, well, it's both. I mean, it, it's both. One of the things I, I, you know, as you get a little bit further, and not that even that far out of college, but as you're starting to first collaborate and, and uh, hire other individuals into the organization, the first thing I, I tell them, life's an open book test, right? It's yeah. no longer a, an exam where it has to be memorized or it's an open book test. So... It, you're obligated to go use every resource available to you, right? So yes, go out and find it on your own, and it can give you a lot of different things around that. But, um, but as well, if depending upon time required to achieve the end result, absolutely, you should be consulting people that may have that answer or, or get you there faster, mm-hmm. right? So okay, so going there, trying to get the answer on your own, what mm-hmm. was? You said that there you could give a lot on that. Well, I'm just saying that um, you know you, there's a certain amount that you want to do to hone your own skills, okay. right? Again, to the depth. Mm-hmm. There, there's a certain amount of credibility, if you will, respect in having done it yourself, mm-hmm. right? That you have to earn your stripes a little bit. Uh, so you can't just you know waltz through life and not having you know and made the mistakes of being wrong and living with that, right? So um, you, you need to go to depth in certain things and get to an expertise where it's respected for what you know in having done it. And it change, it's different for different people on different aspects. But yeah. uh, I would always challenge them to first understand it themselves, even if they receive the information or found the information from somebody else. They need to understand it themselves to represent it to somebody else, right? Yeah. I just think that, you know, especially here, people get really caught up in, you know, we're competitive. We want to make sure that, you know, we're doing well for ourselves. And that's that's good. Um, But it's, you know, especially in the, you know, we're coming up on finals here. Everyone's like, oh, I need to know all these things all the time. Mm -hmm. The my favorite quote that it ended up in the studio in Snell um, from that episode was he said, life is an open book test. And I think that that's. It's a great quote. I, you know, it's something I've thought about quite frequently after that is, you know, we don't need all the answers all the time. Mm-hmm. There are people to go to for a lot of different things. And I think the best people are the most resourceful, They're the ones that know that they can, you know, ask random people for help if they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also try and figure it out on their own if they can. You know, we got the Internet. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. The Internet is beautiful. The Internet is amazing. I don't honestly... I don't think I could have done school without the internet. I don't think I could do school without pod or without uh Netflix um documentaries. That's how I get ninety five percent of the information. That's my open book. I just it it is crazy to think like how much I rely on 
Yeah, the internet. The I know. Easy accessibility of things. Like you know when you're just a, think about when you're just walking around and you and your friend just don't know the answer to something. And what you do just you, like look it up. If we didn't have the internet, what do we like wait till somebody goes <laughs> to the library or something like that? Well, you just wouldn't know the answer. You'd have to be okay with not knowing things a lot more. I know, which would drive me insane. Yeah, because I like. But knowing. I think that's because we grew up yeah. understanding that True. we could have big the difference between to us and the people we're and interviewing. The people we yeah, yeah. Well, besides. Demi Lolo, he was yeah. Same. He he's he's our age. He understands. He understands a little bit. No, I definitely think like just think about even citations. Think about citing things yeah. and learning how to. You'd actually have to know how to cite APA. I don't need to know that. I go on to exactly. easybib.com and exactly. I plug that Everything link in. in. <laughs> yep. Occasionally, you have to fill in uh, yeah, the author's name. Or That's like about date. it. <laughs> it's just. Oh, such it's, a process. I know. <laughs> oh, I have to write down one thing. What a burden. I know. It's just, it's, it's you know, and thinking about rather than going on and finding all the, you know, PDFs of, you know, journal articles or something like that, you'd have to actually go to the library and, like, search through shelves and stuff for books. Not a chance. Not a chance <sighs> I do that. It's a big no. That's a lot. I just, you know, props to everyone who did it. <laughs> All of our professors Props to our parents. and parents yeah. and faculty and staff for doing you know, it the old school being way. Being the the real heroes. <laughs> um I think that's good. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's a wrap, everyone. Thank you for an amazing semester. We really appreciate your support. We've had over three hundred people <laughs> listening to the podcast uh this semester and it's really been a joy for us. Like I said, it's been quite the journey trying to uh, get this off the ground over the last 18 months. And to finally have it happen, I think, has been the most rewarding thing uh, to me at Clarkson. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah. This is something that I look forward to in the week. Yeah. And we'll be doing it next semester. So we will be on the lookout for that, people. Have a good break. Good luck on finals. We love you. All right. And until next time, smile you later. <laughs>